You're listening to the Co-Creator Network. When you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. Good afternoon. Welcome to Why Shamanism Now, a practical path to authenticity with your host, Christina Pratt. Director of the Last Mask Center for Shamanic Healing. She's talking about how shamanic skills can bring us to physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual well-being, especially when nothing else can. Now, here's your host, Christina Pratt. Welcome, everyone, to Why Shamanism Now. This is your host, Christina Pratt, and I'd like to begin by calling in the spirits. So I call out to the ancestors, all of those who bring that which is good and true and beautiful into our lives. I call out to these human ancestors to be with us here today and to guide us that we might learn from those who've gone before us. And I call out to the even more ancient ancestors, those ancestors who were here, who dreamt of the first people. So I call out to those ancestors, the spirits of the great forests, the deep, deep rivers, the great canyons, the mountains, all the great structures of this earth, of this planet, of this land. Give thanks to the great oceans. And thanks to all of these energies that are of this earth. We give thanks even further back, even more essentially to the elements that dreamt of life and dreamt of planets. So I give thanks and call out to Grandfather Fire and Grandmother Water. I call out to the energy of the earth as the element, the elemental energy, and the energies of the air. I call out to these elemental ancestors and all the way back to the very first ancestor, the great mystery. And we are all descendant of this first energy, and I call out to this energy to be with us here today as well. So I call out to these ancestors in all their human and non-human forms to be with us here today, to gather round, that we might do what needs to be done here in this day in this way. And I give thanks for these ancestors, human and non-human, for joining us here today. And I extend my energy down through my body into the earth and give thanks to the earth, the being, the earth, the planet, the earth who's dreaming about life as we understand it and as we experience it in our physical form to this planet. We give thanks to the earth for a place, for a home, for the land on which we walk our journey in life. And may we walk it well. We give thanks to the earth for the wisdom of the ecosystems for the teachings that come from nature and from all the beauty and the bounty in diversity that is all abounding on the planet. May we live in a way that enhances, not diminishes that diversity. So we give thanks to the earth. Thanks for connection and belonging and interconnection and a place to be the center of our life from which to live. And with our feet firmly planted in that center and our gratitude extended down to the earth and our thanks for all the things that make the day possible, that allow us to live and to breathe and to eat and to find shelter, we give thanks to the earth for these things. And we reach up from the earth through our body and our mind all the way up 
to the sky and all the way through the sky into the atmosphere and all the way through the atmosphere into the cosmos. Through all the layers of the sky, we reach up to the very highest power of the sky. And by whatever name you call that power, be it a deity in your system or simply the true, true energy of the Tao, the true yang energy coming down to mix and merge and meet the true yin. Whatever name you call that energy, call it down. Drawing the energy from above, from the sky realms, down into our circle, into our bodies, into our proceedings here today. And we draw in through this energy, the energy of protection, the energy of blessing, the energy of generosity and benevolence. So we call these energies in and allow the energy of the earth and sky to mix within each one of us. That these are not necessarily just ideas to reach out to with our mind, but energies to connect to with our hearts and allow these energies then to fill our bodies. So with the earth and the sky dancing their happy dance of the Tao inside of us, let that energy resonate in our bodies and awaken the energy of the heart. So we call out to the heart to be with us here today and to be that crucible of magic that allows the fiery passions of the belly and the deeper desires and passions of, of why we are here to rise up into the awareness of the heart. And we ask the heart to draw down the clarity and understanding and ability to discern from the mind and let these energies dance together in a way that births a third energy, which is your knowing of your soul's true purpose. We call out to this energy to be with us here today and we ask the heart to give us the courage to live that purpose, to bring those gifts to the world so that those who are coming can find what they need here when they arrive. So we give thanks to all of these energies for gathering around us here today. May what needs to be heard be heard and what needs to be said be said and may all of these proceedings go forward in a way that is good for all living things in all forms. So I give thanks for spirit being with us here today and I give thanks to your spirits those of you who are listening and especially those who have done something since last week that has helped the show to grow if you are moved by the show in any way in the heart even if you are moved to irritation that is fine with me the fact is you have been moved and if you have been moved by the show please consider donating to the show or doing something that can help the show to grow through your vast understanding of social media, through sharing it intimately with a friend, or through doing something the show inspires you to actually do in your life, or simply passing the show on to others, connecting the show website to your website. Um, these many, many things that can be done to help the show to grow, and sending in your questions, and sending in your ideas for a show. All of these things help the show to grow, but in particular, your donations keep the show on the air. And so I give thanks to Nate and Deborah and Barbette, who are listeners who donated since last week. Thank you very much, and all the others who have donated to the show. If you would like to do so, you can go to whyshamanismnow.com and click on the support button and leave any amount that you choose to. It's all um, deeply appreciated, and it all goes directly to keeping the show on the air. And if you would like to donate to the show and you don't want to do it online, that's perfectly fine. You can email me at christina at lastmaskcenter.org, and I would be happy to give you a mailing address if you'd like to just send uh, in your check. That's fine. So thank you, everyone. Um, and please know that 
the true the true purpose in all of this, me spending my time doing this and you spending your time listening, is that we might allow ourselves to learn once again how to be moved by the heart in life with discernment from the mind and with the power to act to create a world that is shaped not only by the mind but by the heart. And so today, our topic is creating sacred space anywhere, anytime. And so really, this is a show... Um, responding to listeners who have asked about altars and shrines. And so I'm going to talk a little bit today about creating and working with altars and shrines um, because these are a way to connect with sacred space and that you can do them formally, um, but you can also do them informally. Um, Once again, the anywhere, anytime part. The show is live today. My email's up here. If you want to email me with a question at christina at lastmasscenter.org, you may call in at 512-772-772. 1938 at co-creator or you if you're listening through the co-creator site live right now you can click on that skype button and skype in as well and i hope you will join us today in the show so space the final frontier okay so space itself is inherently sacred as are all things so when we take action to quote unquote create sacred space What we are doing is acknowledging that fact, the fact of the sacred in the space. It's already present there, but we are acknowledging that. And in that, we are greeting the great mystery inherent in the sacred, which is inherent in the space. So in effect, we are saying hello so that we can engage and begin our relationship with the sacred in a good way in a way that, um, well, for example, if you are going over to your friend's house, usually we knock first before we enter. In in some very deep, um, connected friendships or like the friendships in the little neighborhood I grew up in, people knock and walk right in. Um, In a soir village, you do a call a certain number of feet away from the home to make sure that you are welcome to come or you'll be shot with a blow dart. So they're very different. There are different uh, protocols for boundaries of greeting. But the point is we usually greet each other. We connect, we ask permission to enter the lives of each other. Usually if we are respecting boundaries and basic social protocol, which is different in different cultures, nonetheless, it's the same function which is, do I have permission to enter here? Can we engage? And so what we're doing with our altars and shrines and with our efforts to create sacred spaces, we're not creating sacredness. What we're doing is creating practices by which we can connect with the sacred that is already inherent in all things. So... Understand that from my perspective, the true art of working with space um, is called various things like geomancy or feng shui in the sense of feng shui as an ancient shamanic art form. In other words, Chinese geomancy um, versus enlightened decorating. Um, But there there are entire schools or branches of sacred and or shamanic arts that deal with working with sacred space in small and large um, scales. So that really isn't our topic today. 
nor is it actually my field of expertise. Um, and working with alters and trines, though, is an extension of that whole understanding of the esoteric arts. And I want to acknowledge those people that are exceedingly good, and that is their field and their expertise. So what we're talking about today um, is about our is first about our individual work with the sacred in our lives, in our space, through altars and shrines specifically. Okay. And we'll see if we can actually get to an extension of these ideas into our communal work, our work together with sacred space. I'm not exactly sure whether we'll have time, but we'll see. So there's a couple ideas I want to share just to get started with. And that would be this. The most important thing in understanding what space, altars, shrines, the sacred, all these things we're talking about today, is that no one owns your relationship with the sacred. There is no need to feel locked or trapped by a religion you grew up in or the lack of religion or a spirituality that you grew up in or the lack of spirituality. Um, Whatever you were raised in is a set of ideas and there is no need to feel locked or trapped by them because no one owns your relationship with the sacred. These different systems own their practices, their ways of doing it, whether we're talking about an indigenous sweat lodge or high mass or, or prayers at five o'clock, whatever it is, those are practices and those are systems, but they do not own your relationship with the sacred. There is no spirit worth worshiping that would harm you for forging a more authentic, felt relationship with spirit. So have no fear about diverging from whatever you were taught. You won't be punished by whoever the spirit was that was at the top of that spiritual food chain, right? That there is no spirit in the world worth worshiping that would harm you for forging out in your life to create a more authentic relationship with spirit. Next, there is no need to take from other people's, their practices for their relationship with the sacred. There are no people on the planet that are inherently more sacred or inherently less sacred by virtue of their sexual orientation or the color of their skin or their gender or whatever. So there is no need for any individual to go to another group of peoples and take from them their connection, their teachings for how to connect with the sacred. We don't need to take forms and practices from indigenous peoples. What we can learn from other cultures is what questions to ask to build our own relationship with the sacred because nobody owns a human being's relationship with the sacred. And we each have the freedom to craft that for ourselves in a good way. And finally, uh, keep in mind as we talk about working with altars and shrines and the sacred and ultimately then with power, that the only true shamanic or Taoistic sin is to stand in the way of one's destiny, including your own. 
And this also, if we think about it shamanically, this also extends into other than human beings and their destiny, whatever that might mean for other than human beings. Um, But there are many, many energies that share our space. So as long as you do not use your relationship with spirit and the resulting power to stand in the way of anything or anyone else's destiny, then you need not fear your work with the sacred. And with that single guiding principle, you can simply come back to no one owns your relationship with the sacred, and it is your responsibility then to build it. So you are free to create and shape that relationship, and we each need to. So if we are, we, an individual human, is to live spiritually engaged, heart-driven lives with discernment and the power to make change in the world, then we are not fitting into contemporary Western culture. Right? So if we live spiritually engaged, heart-driven, yet with discernment, and feel empowered to create change around us, then we are not in the collective consciousness any longer. We are in our own consciousness where you've stepped outside of the status quo and we are probably not fitting in. So given that, we will often feel that we are salmon swimming upstream. And the finest way to counter the inevitable feelings that follow once we recognize we are salmon swimming upstream, these feelings are often followed by, uh, by, uh, this awareness is often followed by feelings of isolation And feelings that we are alone in the world. And so the finest way to counter that progression of awarenesses is simply to engage with spirit. Is to to be engaged with spirit daily, regularly. And this is the deep uh, reason for an altar practice, for connection with through altars and shrines to the invisible world or the world without form. So your personal altar is the place to anchor that relationship with spirit, the one that lets you be a happy swimming, sound swimming upstream, knowing that procreation awaits and having that joy, that, that creative life force is what is driving you in the way that you are going. That to, to do that with joy can be done as long as we have a strong relationship with spirit. It also helps if we have other salmon in the stream, but... That's not an excuse to wait around. You don't want to hold your life hostage waiting for your spiritual community. You need to get out there and do it anyway. And so your personal altar is the place to anchor that relationship with spirit, to call in the world that you believe in, and to take it with you, that world you believe in, to take it with you as you engage the day and co-create your reality moment by moment with spirit. And so your altar is, in a sense, your commitment to forging an actual, meaning felt, an actual, healthy, spiritually mature relationship with spirit. So very early in my training, I was learning skills. I'd already had an initiatory experience outside of the training, so I'd gone into this training to learn skills. But I was not really given any living context for those skills to fit into. Um, In other words, I was learning to do more and more powerful shamanic things 
without being challenged in that process to think in more deeply shamanic ways. So let's face it. The typical American doesn't really think shamanically right out of, you know, graduate school or whatever. We may have powerful insights. We have big dreams. We may even have deep shamanic journeys. We find a resonance with these things that feel true. But they're still happening or we are still experiencing them within an American context or whatever contemporary context you're viewing or experiencing your life through. Even though we feel the resonance with, let's say, shamanic teachings, just to stay sort of general, even though we feel the resonance with the truth as we start learning these things that aren't necessarily part of the mainline contemporary culture, we're still experiencing these things through the worldview that we were given by being raised in that culture. So nothing fundamental has really changed, although we have felt a resonance with ideas that feel perhaps more true to us. So in the early years of my training with these human teachers, I wasn't really being challenged to adopt a shamanic worldview to practice my shamanic skills within. I was just learning more and more powerful shamanic skills. So I wasn't really being challenged to adopt a shamanic worldview And more importantly, I was not being challenged to interpret my shamanic experiences within a shamanic worldview. And so constant, well, anyway, okay, so that's my point. So in fact, what was implied in the teachings was that a shamanic worldview wasn't necessary, that I could just stay an American with my own basic, um, everyday, ordinary American life experience and just a just bring in, just sort of like download the new shaman software and that it was going to somehow run in a way that was compatible with my old operating system and that that was fine. And, and it was really implied, not stated, but implied in these teachings that, that that was fine, that it wasn't necessary to actually change my view of the world, change my understanding of how things worked. And so at best... When, when that idea may have been touched in that training, at best, we were just told, well, spirit will take care of that. And it, it hasn't really been my experience that that's true. But anyway, that's, sorry, that's what we were offered. So at the time of the training, what I started feeling was a growing split inside of myself. I had my own post-initiation awareness, and that felt like it was sort of over here within me. And then the shamanic skills I was learning were sort of over there. And these two really powerful things in my life didn't really seem to connect. Um, And so I felt this split, and the split itself felt um, scary, frankly. Um, So I used the shamanic skills that I was learning – And I asked for the true nature of that inner split that I was feeling and what to do about it. So I just diagnosed this remedy. Um, And the answer was the beginning of my understanding that we need to intentionally engage the larger invisible world. Not just the helping spirits, but the entire invisible world in which the helping spirits exist, in which the upper world, middle world, lower world exists, if that's how you see things. But that, that there was this bigger awareness um, that I needed to intentionally engage. 
And so since that bigger awareness, that world, for lack of a better word, word is limitless and without any actual shape and dimensions, it's limitless, timeless, without, you know, all that stuff. Uh, we humans actually need a cosmology to give it shape. We need a story. We need a, we need a picture. We need an image. Um, but I'm kind of getting my head, ahead of myself with that part. So I asked my helping spirits at the time about my split, the split I was feeling, and what the remedy was. Okay, and I didn't understand all that big picture stuff yet. I just understood that I was being told that I needed to engage this bigger picture intentionally. And I said, well, great. How do I do that? And, um, and so part of what I was shown here is that the, that feeling of the split was the fact that I was getting deeper and deeper into my relationship with spirit in the invisible world, in the formless world. But that I wasn't grounding that growing relationship with spirit here in the physical world. And I see this in the little bubble of shamanic work in America. I see this split in epidemic proportions in that little world. Well, it's probably in epidemic proportions in the bigger world too. But the point is you're learning shamanic skills, having deeper and deeper relationship with spirit. And that whole side of the equation is growing much and much bigger, deeper, more developed, but that I wasn't being shown any ways to ground that growing relationship in the physical world. So my development spiritually was outpacing my development in my body and in particular in the interface between my physical body and my energy body. And since my questions about this experience and the answer that I've been given by spirit was met basically with derision from my teachers. Um, I just did what spirit showed me to do because they didn't explain the answer so much as just showed me a simple thing to do. And the reason I'd even asked my teachers about it is because I didn't understand how this simple thing the spirits had shown me to do was in any way going to help with this whole split they just described between my development spiritually and my internal development, not just uh, personal development, but truly energetically. Um, So anyway, I didn't really have a choice, but just to do what spirit told me to do or showed me to do. So the practice was this. I was to take a walk in the morning before everything began. So before breakfast, before class, before everything. And on that walk, I was to pick up four small things that caught my attention. And of course, asking if they wanted to go with me, I would pick them up and continue walking until I found a place for that day, whatever that place spoke to me. And then I would draw a circle around myself in the dirt and orient myself towards the east and the rising sun. And I just sort of feel the sun on my face on the days the sun was out. And then when I was ready, I was to open my arms and face and heart to that direction, to the east. Just arching just a little bit to open up the chest and the throat and the face And then to return to prayer hands at the heart. And then I was to say thank you. And then to give the east one of those four things I had picked up. So I would open to the east and and sort of call out to it in a sense. And then have a little bow and um, thank the east. And give the east one of those little gifts. And then I would do just a quarter turn to the right. 
and repeat the whole thing. So I'd open up my body to the south and call out to the south and then make the little bow to the south and then give thanks to the south and give the next little item to the south. And then I would take another little quarter turn to the right and take a nice deep breath and open up to the west and call out to the west. And then with my prayer hands, bow to the west and give thanks to the west and give this little offering to the west. And then I would turn to the north, another little quarter turn, and I'd open up to the north and then bow, a little bow to the north and give thanks to the north and leave a little offering to the north. And then the circle would be complete. And then I would close this little practice by opening up in the same way, but tipping my head back and opening all the way up to the sky. And then not so much stopping in prayer hands, but having the sense of bringing that energy into my prayer hands all the way down and then placing my palms on the earth. So I would kneel down and place them on the earth and then reach my energy down into the earth and give gratitude. And when I had given thanks for my day, for my life, then I would stand and wait to feel all these energies, which were six energies, right? The four directions above and below converge in the bowl of my pelvis or my first chakra, however you want to think about that. I just thought about it as my pelvis. Uh, and when I felt all those six directions converge and become then the seventh sacred direction, then I would just bow and step out of the circle and go on with my day. So it was really very simple. It's much more complex to try to explain to you than just to show you. And I did this every day. And with each day, it grew. One of the first things I began to sense is how when I called in the north, there was almost like a click as the north connected to the east and that circle around me was completed. I began to experience, one of the other sensations that started to happen was experiencing each of the four directions coming to me as beings. And then over time, I started seeing the beings as if they were at the point of a great uh, quarter of the pie, kind of, and all the energies of all the different kinds of helping spirits that come because they were related with, with the East, incense coming as the east came it's like it opened the way for all the spirit energies related to the east to come and the same for each of the directions south west north and so many many things like this happened as i did this day after day and it was like all of these were symptoms of my awareness of this larger world that the helping spirits inhabit opening up so my awareness was opening to this formlessness while I was present, very, very present in my body in this world of form that we experience. So what was most important in all of this was that I began to feel in my body the flow of energy from that purely spiritual or formless, the, the, big, the, the big picture, right, the biggest, that sense of the big world out there, um, Invisible, limitless, shapeless, all of this. So that big energy. So I began to feel the flow of that energy coming into my own energy body. And then through that interface between my energy body and my physical body into my physical body. 
So the big energy, I began to feel the flow of that big energy into the energy body and through that interface into my physical body as a felt internal sense. And then from my physical body, as I experienced that connection to the bigger energies, I would feel a connection in my physical body then to my emotional body and my mental body. So I'd feel my feelings, my mood begin to shift and my orientation or view on the world begin to shift and come into alignment or to come into some kind of alignment. I mean, I was still just sensing this and didn't hardly even know how to um, understand it. And then, though, there was another level. So there was a flow from the big into the energy body, into my physical body, and then once in the physical body, aligning the emotional and mental bodies. And then there was the sensation of the flow from my heart through these very humble offerings of gratitude. Um, you know, not a lot of spoken words, not a lot of prayers, drama, just this humble offering from the heart. Um, and, and, and the feeling that of the earth and the sky and everything, that humble offering the heart went out to everything and that it was received. And there was something about that, the, the gratitude piece and the extension of that personal heart energy out into this much bigger system that I became aware of the interconnectedness in our relationship with spirit. Specifically, that the invisible world, whether we personify it into helping spirits or not, but that the invisible world gains something of value from the love and gratitude that flows out from the human heart. So there was this feeling, not an idea, but a felt sense of a circle completing itself as my gratitude was received, almost as if on the invisible world side of that equation, there was an ah, almost audible, but a sense that only being able to complete itself, some, something, a circle, was only really able to complete itself because I had offered this energy from my heart. You know, so this was a feeling and not an idea, but a felt sense of this big circle of energy, always transforming, and yet with some sort of intention in this circle to finally complete itself. And that was this huge teaching that emerged because I'd offered my heart in this way that spirit understood as the forging of a formal, for lack of a better word, a formal relationship. This wasn't random, but ceremonial. It repeated. And in that repetition, in that willingness to perform this small ceremony, a different message got across from me to spirit. And that, that experience was in, entirely different from what it feels like to do psychic readings or energy readings or what it feels like to be journeying with the helping spirits because these are all experiences of a kind of connection. But I'm trying to describe a different, an entirely different connection. And in reflection, I certainly didn't understand this at the time, but in reflection... It was the feeling of truly being part. When that circle connected, 
It was the feeling of being part of the interconnectedness of all things. That's what that circle was. But in an absolutely ordinary state of consciousness was the feeling of it through my body. Not, which is unlike the sense of it in a journey or in a meditation or in any number of altered states. So this is what is important about our work with altars and shrines because they are here in the physical world. And that our, our work with altars and shrines grounds that spiritual experience here in the ordinary world, in the felt sense of the body, through the simplicity, through the clarity, and through the repetition. In other words, it's one of the most fundamental and important ceremonial acts is our own work with the altar. And so that that gift that I was given by spirit as an answer to my question about why I was feeling this split, not only did it heal the split, obviously, but it gave me that opportunity to feel the energy of that interconnectedness in ordinary reality in my physical body to not be intending it or visualizing it or thinking it but through the ceremonial actions to be experiencing it. So that's what we're wanting to create ultimately through our altar work, our work with our altars and shrines. Okay, so the fact that I, in this example I've just shared in this story, oh, and I forgot to say that I've come to call that practice the body altar Um, and I may refer to it later in the show so I just wanted you to know that so the fact that I was guided to work with four which was actually seven but basically four elements is irrelevant that is not where the power of that practice came from you could have done that with five elements or three elements or whatever Um, What that is, that working with elements, um, is in all of these different indigenous cultures, is that the number of the elements essentially signifies their organizing principle. And yes, there are rich stories and explanations about why they see the world the way they see it and why they divide it into four elements or five elements or three elements or whatever. But the powerful point is that all of that richness – All of that history, all of those stories, all of those teaching myths, all of that richness is organized in a way that can be accessed very simply through that organizing principle, through through that elemental system of, you know, the four directions or the five elements or whatever it is. So why do we need that? Why is it important for your work with your altar or shrine to have an organizing principle or a cosmology. And my sense is the why is because your altar and or shrine work will be effective if you begin to work with an organizing principle. So my entire practice is based on what I learned through the body altar. 
So my system is a four-element system. But I also understand through my experiences learning in other five-element systems and the power of Chinese medicine in helping me to heal that five-element systems are very powerful as well. But for me, what the body altar taught me in following up with that message from spirit is that for me, my organizing principle is a four-element system. That's what is most effective for me to most simply and directly connect me into these deeper, critically important relationships with the invisible world that allow us to develop in a healthy way in our relationship with spirit. And in, in my case, what was also important that I was able to develop in a healthy way as a practitioner and not allow um, – and to allow me to overcome, to heal, release, to change the imbalances that I naturally brought to that practice by just being raised as a regular old American. So we need that organizing principle or cosmology. I mean, they're really interchangeable. We need that to, to, to be the context in which our shamanic work fits. And what I would like to say today is, we as humans need that to be able to live spiritually and effectively in our everyday life. So it's not just a shamanic issue. I think it's a human issue that we have an organizing principle that helps us understand how we fit into this bigger picture, who we are, how that all works, and that someone who is not remotely interested in shamanism could begin to work with an altar and, and a way of organizing their life and their self in this universe just by starting with the body altar. That doesn't have to lead someone down the wild path of shamanism. It can just lead you into yourself and your relationship with the invisible world because regardless of your spiritual orientation in life, we're all here as energy beings in an energy world. We need to organize that for ourselves. It's too big for us because it's limitless and boundless and no space, no, you know, no time. It's always, it's not how we experience life, but we live life here in the physical world and we need to not be trapped by that, but we need to see that experience as a powerful possibility by being able to connect both effectively into the physical and effectively into the non-formed, the invisible world. And so even someone who doesn't want to necessarily practice shamanism can begin to do that through a powerful Ultra practice. Okay, so why do we need it? Because what I see happening today is that in America, at least, and that's all I can really speak for, that people are picking and choosing what they like from this religion or what they liked from that workshop or what they liked from that indigenous culture and cobbling together kind of a crazy quilt, a crazy patchwork quilt of a spiritual life. Now, another version of this, um, it's like the, it's the flip side of the coin. It seems completely different, but it's really the flip side of the same coin, which is imagining that you as a contemporary person who is disconnected from your ancestors' indigenous roots can go back and grasp them through some contemporary interpretation of Celtic shamanism or contemporary interpretation of Druidic whatever, and that somehow that's a pristine single fabric 
that you can just wrap around your life and have your spiritual life ready-made for contemporary life. And it doesn't work either way. It doesn't work to cobble together the pieces that are your favorites or just grab something off the shelf that you feel somehow you have a right to. That most of us, if we've been disconnected for more than a few generations from a shamanic life, need to begin again. And the most important thing that I want to convey is that you can. I mean, I had absolutely no idea what I was doing and, and in many ways didn't get the help that I was asking for from my human teachers, but I got it from my spirit teachers. And from that shaped an entire cosmology, not that you need to go that far, but what I know from that is that anybody can work with an altar and create a healthy, mature adult working relationship with the invisible world through their altar practice. So, but the point is your altar needs to have an organizing principle. And for me, what I've experienced is that this organizing principle will be most effective for you in your spiritual life if it resonates as true on the most expansive non-physical level, the big invisible spirit world level. It resonates as true in your energy body and it resonates as true in your physical body. So if it resonates as true in your life experience, in the world's great spiritual practices, mystical practices, and science, cutting-edge science, it's probably true. And it's a good organizing principle to shape your altar practice on and your spiritual life around. So for me, then, if we go back to the example that I shared of the body altar, that shape that gets described by calling in four directions above and below and, and the center describes the shape of an atom as much as it describes the shape of my energy body as a human, as much as it is as good a way as any to begin to navigate the invisible world where there is no there there. It's just energy. And so my point is that shape resonated for me on all different levels as true. And so what we begin to get then energetically, internally, is alignment, physical body, energy body, spirit body, emotional body, mental body. You start getting alignment and you start getting resonance. You start getting um, good energetic things happening between the most microcosmic level and the great big macrocosmic level. And so this is one of the most powerful ways to then begin to work with some organizing principle for your altar is that it is not randomly true hither and thither, but it is true again and again and again. And it may be profoundly boring. I mean, my little cosmology is not remotely as interesting as Buddhism. They've got some of the coolest deities ever imagined by mankind, right? Mine's real simple. But it's based on a felt sense of truth that aligns me physically, emotionally, spiritually, mentally, energetically, big world, small world. It all aligns. It all resonates. And that is the most has the most profound effect then on your truth cord. 
which is essential in everyday life just to know which way to go most days is to actually have an active truth cord. So if all of this stuff that I'm talking about is really new to you, then look into the archives um, for two podcasts from last year. One is called Small Sacred Things, and it was on September 7th, and the other is Small Acts of Power on September 14th. And these are kind of precursors for today's show. So if all of this is new ideas, then go back and listen to those shows, and then this will maybe make a little bit more sense. So brass tacks here about your personal altar. First, you need an organizing principle. And so for me, my organizing principle is the four directions above, below, and center. Okay, so my power objects, which is the next thing on an altar, are organized on my altar in the four directions, in the center, and actually above and below. Um, So what is a power object? We've talked about power objects. Power objects are anything that either naturally, inherently carries a certain power or has been imbued with power either through the artist who created it or through you – because it made you think of that and you call that energy into it again and again. So there's lots of ways to have power objects, natural, artistic, totally random. Um, but the point is that the power object is a home for the formless in the landscape of your altar. So in my altar, it oriented in each of the directions is the elements that I sense are part of each of the directions. The different helping spirits that are the primary helping spirits that work with me in each of the directions, etc. See what I mean by organizing principle and power objects. Another aspect of your altar then, if you think back to the body altar, it's a place to give offerings. So it's a place, it's a ceremonial place for me to give an offering each day. And in certain altars or shrines, I give exactly the same offering each day. Sometimes I give a variety of offerings depending on the altar or shrine. But the point is, it's a place where you're offering to spirit again and again builds that formal relationship. Now with that said, this is not in any way contrary to me encouraging you again and again and again in show after show after show to stop and honor the sacred in any moment, in any way, to notice the beauty in your life randomly. Talking about an altar isn't saying don't do that, but it's talking about how through a formal repetition, even your own, even one given you by spirit that no one else in the world is doing, you create that somewhat more formal relationship with spirit and things begin to take on another dimension in your life. Sorry, I was brass tacks. Moving on. Organizing principle, power objects, offerings, and prayers or visions, the things that you want to manifest. The other thing about my altar, the way it's it's organized, for example, the most powerful point is in the center. The place of power is in the center of the altar. And so the thing that I want to create that is big, that is not going to get created by Friday, but, you know, is a big vision that I want to create goes in the center so that all of the energies I'm calling in, all of the relationships that I'm feeding with spirit, that all of that is helping me to co-create that thing that I want most that is big in the world and that there is no way I can create without that spirit help. 
So having a power object or a prayer or a blessing in the center, for me in the center, but wherever the place of power is in the way you've organized your altar. So what does an altar practice look like? An altar practice can look any way you want it to look, any way you're guided by spirit for it to look. But the important thing about an altar practice is to remember that it is ceremonial. It's not about big demonstrative acts. It's about doing the same thing day after day after day with sincerity and simplicity and authenticity. And so to light the candle, to call the energies in, all of the things that you're doing repetitiously to call those energies into your life, to define the world you want to live in by calling those energies in. And then the final act of your altar practice, assuming you don't live with your altar, because most people then go to work, is you place yourself in the center of your altar and you intentionally exit the space, bringing that altar with you. So you travel with all the energies you've called into your altar have actually been all called into your energy body. And so you move through the day in the center of your altar, in center in the center of the world that you have called in. If you don't call in the spirits, you're stuck with what everybody else is calling in. And I don't know about where you live, but where I live, that's not necessarily how I want to live my life. And so it's up to me to work with spirit to make it very clear how I want to live my life. And I do that each morning at my altar. Now, if you're not new to this and you've already got an altar, then what I would suggest doing, or altars, or altars and shrines, or anything, what I would suggest that you do is journey to ask if your altar practice fully supports what you are trying to create in your life. And if not, how would you remedy that? So, for example, does your altar practice fully support your healing practice or the growth of your business or the health and safety and well-being of your whole family? So whatever it is that you're doing in your life, you, you go to your altar. Your altar practice is meant to be the, the base, as in basic, place that that gets grounded and that you are able to bring in the support that you need to do what you're trying to do in your life. It's very, very practical. And so whatever you're doing in or with your life, a good altar practice supports that. It supports you in the co-creation of that endeavor and that, and it supports your well-being while you're endeavoring. And that's the other important thing about your life is you don't want to be the sacrificial lamb in your life. Not that you don't make sacrifices, but you need to do what you're doing in a way that maintains your well-being as well. So another question to ask if you already have a practice is are you just calling energies in and asking for things? Or are you giving? Are you giving from your heart? Are you making offerings? Are you singing songs? Are you sharing love? Um, one of the most important things about the body altar as an example is that at that time in my life, it was really innocent and heartfelt. I was scared by the split. I wasn't getting any help from the humans around me. It didn't make any sense why I was doing what I was being asked to do, but it was the only answer I had. So I did it. And I did it as simply and authentically and heartfelt as I could. 
And the thing that completed the circle and shifted the whole game with spirit, shifted everything into a new kind of relationship, was the love, was the true, sincere offering of gratitude. And doing it ceremonially, that's the other piece, is doing it again and again in the same simple way. And that is really the profoundly powerful possibilities in your altar work. And we've entirely run out of time, and I haven't yet spoken about shrines or what happens when we start to use all of this in community. So we can create sacred space because space is inherently sacred. So we can create sacred space, quote-unquote, anywhere and anytime. You are in sacred space if you're in a temple or a church or a mosque, and the power in many of those places that sometimes makes the hair on your skin stand up comes from the fact that so many people have done so much of the same ceremony, hundreds of years after hundreds of years, and the fact that those places are usually put on top of a natural power spot in the first place. But we don't live our day, most of us don't live our day in the temple, inside the church or inside the mosque, that we need to take our sense of the sacred with us. So what we need to understand is that actually we do live inside the temple or the church or the mosque every day because we live in the world and the world is innately sacred. We live in the sacred at all times. We can call the sacred in anywhere, anytime by simply acknowledging what is already present. And so one example of that is the body altar that I shared in the beginning of the show. So for this practice, any practice, not just the body altar, but something you would be given by spirit for it to work for it to be effective it needs to reflect your sense of the larger world and your sense of the most microscopic world it can't just be hidgely pidgely hodgepodge random right it all needs to resonate and sing it's like it all needs to come together like a singing bowl i began with the four directions because they were true for me I understood that no one owns the four directions. Every human being has as much a right to the four directions as any other human being. And that they did not belong to anyone, nor did the sacred. And then I built from there with the guidance of spirit. And that my experience of grounding that relationship with spirit in my body and in my life is what came through the altar practice. And so my question for you this week, whether this is new ideas and this is the very beginning or whether you are already working with altars and or shrines, is what do you need to do to have an effective relationship with spirit through your altar? Because it's critically important in these times that as we develop spiritually, that that spiritual relationship, the full depth of it, is grounded in our bodies, in our experience of ordinary reality. And so your challenge for this week is simply to ask, what do you need to do to support what you are creating in life as your own altar practice?
So thank you, everyone. I want to give thanks to the spirits for joining us here today, the ancestor spirits and those most ancient non-human ancestor spirits, the earth itself, the sky above, and the heart that unites it all. Thank you all for supporting the show. Thank you all for listening. And next week, we will um, explore further the interface between the energy body and the physical body. So thank you all for joining me and have a great week.